G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Church. Today we're going to be hearing a sermon by Zoe Brown and she's going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 1 verses 10 to 18 which read, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah, the multitude of Of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is the word of the Lord. Without further ado, here is Zoe with the sermon. As we come into our final three weeks in our Prophets Minor and Major series, It's a great time to reflect on what we've learnt so far through this journey. At first glance, some of the prophetic texts that we've seen have seemed downright scary. But from the beginning of the series in Jeremiah, through to Micah, Amos, Habakkuk and Joel, what we've actually been able to see is that our God is a loving and merciful God whose great desire is to live in relationship with his people and to see those people and us turn from sin to a life that is filled by the Holy Spirit. So this week we're turning to the prophet Isaiah, who is often considered the greatest of the Hebrew prophets. This isn't just because his book is the greatest, as in the longest. Isaiah is also the oldest of the prophets, living and preaching in Jerusalem from about 740 BC, the latter half of Israel's kingdom period. Isaiah spoke to the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, warning that their idolatry and oppression would come at a cost. As with the other prophets, this damning warning was not all doom and gloom, however, but it was combined with a message of hope, God's fulfilment of his covenantal promise, a future king from the line of David who would be God's blessing to all the nations. Isaiah's writings are littered with prophecies about this future king, the Messiah. It's the Old Testament book that is most often quoted in the New Testament when talking about Jesus. And it's this hope of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus, that compelled Isaiah to speak out. God was grieved by what he saw. The Israelites pretended on the outside that they were faithful But in fact, their external compliance couldn't hide their hard hearts and they were estranged from God 
Rather than living in relationship with God, they depended on ritual and self-righteousness. In effect, their faith was in themselves. And it's this deep desire to see the people repair their relationship with God that we see entrenched in Isaiah's prophecies. Today is no exception. Our passage today is considered the overture or the prologue to Isaiah's writings. It's the second half of a prophecy which gives a broad brushstrokes overview to the rest of the collection. And I pray that you along with me can see here that God reminds the Israelites and us that religion doesn't begin with ritual, but that religion begins with relationship. And it is only through relationship that we can begin to live out God's call to seek justice and defend the oppressed. So let's get stuck in. Isaiah 1 verses 10 to 15. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when we offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Here we see that God, through Isaiah, doesn't hold back. Commentators say that this passage is like a charge sheet levelled against a criminal in court. God calls Israel to really listen to what he has to say, and it's not pretty. The first thing he does is address the leaders and immediately draws comparison between them and Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you don't know these names, they represent two towns that were destroyed due to the gravity of their sin and their turning away from God. Isaiah then lists everything that the Israelites have been doing in regards to their religious rituals. Now, if you were to look at this as a to-do list of rituals, kind of like a marking matrix, it's actually pretty impressive. Multitude of offerings, including incense, rams and fattened animals, tick. The blood of bulls, lambs and goats, tick. Appearance before God in the temple, tick. Appearance at the courts, tick. New moon and Sabbath feasts and festivals, tick. Prayers, many, many, many prayers, tick. So as far as the Old Testament law was concerned, Israel's leaders thought they had done very well. They'd done all that was asked of them. This section here is full of verbs, doing, sacrificing, praying, appearing, giving. Externally, it looked pretty good. Without hesitation, Isaiah tells the people that this is not what God desires. In fact, we hear that God is disgusted by it. He is weary of it. 
He has never desired this. Because the issue here is that the Israelites have based their religion, their faith in God, on a ritual. And ritual is something that ultimately they are in control of, not God. As such, their faith is in themselves. They've ticked all the external boxes, but they are simply going through the motions. They think that by doing these things on the outside, they can give something to God in order to get something out of him. They were in fact reducing their religion, their faith, to a consumer-based transaction of give and take, uh, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours kind of deal. Unfortunately, this consumer transaction is not an action unique to the Israelites. We've seen it throughout history and it forms the basis of how much of our society functions. What can I give you so I can get what I want? God tells them quite plainly what he thinks of this. He doesn't need it. He's not a God who requires objects from his people to satisfy his own desires because he is self-sufficient. He has everything he needs. The only thing that results from this excessive display of ritual is that God is disgusted. He has no pleasure. He can't bear it. He's gone so far as to stop listening to the Israelites. If you look at verse 14 where God tells them that I hate it with all my being, the word used here is best translated as all my soul. So at the very centre of his soul, God hates what is happening. Talk about something backfiring. The Israelites have completely missed the point. Because of their obsession with action and external ritual, they have completely ignored God and the heart of what he desires with the people of his covenant. And what he desires, what he wants, is a covenant that is based on relationship. Unfortunately, we see this in so many areas of our lives. People who donate endlessly to charity, but just so they can get their picture in the paper or they can boast to their accountant or they get the special plaque on the wall for the greatest donor. People who are volunteering all day, but only so that they can be the busiest, the most needed, the most important volunteer. People who never miss a social function, even a church service, but only so that they are seen. Friends, None of these habits or disciplines are bad in themselves. Donating money is not bad. Volunteering is not bad. Going to church is not bad. The issue is the motivation. The Israelites relied on ritual and its subsequent self-righteousness as the foundation for their faith, and they failed. They only did what they did to appease their own needs. They hadn't pleased God. And socially speaking, they had failed miserably in their obligations to care for God's people. The murderous acts they had committed and deeds of oppression and violence were akin to murder in God's mind. 
Isaiah is damning in his words against them at the end of verse 15. Your hands are full of blood. The irony here is that ritually speaking, their hands would have been physically very, very clean. But what Isaiah is stating is that regardless of how clean they may have appeared on the outside, their obsession with ritual rather than relationship has left them spiritually broken and unclean. Although they may hide this from the people of the kingdom, there was no hiding this from God. But just as Isaiah's warning is not all doom and gloom, he then offers the first prospect of hope, of redemption. Let's move to verses 16 to 17. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Here Isaiah pretty clearly states what the Lord requires of them. The new to-do list, the new marking matrix, looks a bit like this. Be made clean. Get rid of evil. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Now, this is completely different to what they have been doing. There's not one mention of sacrifice or ritualistic action. In fact, none of these commands are focused on a physical temple or an external component. None of them cost any money. None of them can be judged by others at the temple. Every single one of them, however, is directed at God's people. Firstly, at the Israelite leaders, for them to change their ways. And subsequently, for the leaders towards others, towards the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow. Because what God requires of the Israelites and of us is to be in relationship with him and with his people. Now, the call to justice is not unique to Judaism then or Christianity now. It's fair to say there's lots of good people around. And commentators note that doing justice would have been a basic requirement that any God would have had for any people. It's considered the sign of a civilised society. However, the difference here is that most ancient societies would have thought that if they kept the gods happy with ritual offering, then the gods would sort out the justice part. It was a transactional understanding of justice. Back to the whole, I scratch your back so you scratch mine kind of idea. The fundamental difference here is that the God of Israel, God the Father, is asking his people to be engaged in justice with him. He's not asking for a tick the list kind of ritual where he then does the rest. Nor is he asking for his people to do it on their own. But he is asking them to take on the character of God, to act towards the poor, the orphan and the widow, the same way that God would act towards them. What's more, none of these are one-off rituals or commands. In the original Hebrew, they're imperfect or incomplete verbs, indicating that they would happen again and again. They're a state of being, they're an attitude, 
They're an attribute. Arouses in a one-time only action. And this kind of command can't be completed through simple ritual. It requires relationship. God calls the Israelites into relationship with him and to become more like him in their character, their actions and their everything. He's calling them to give up their ritual and their self-righteousness in order to care for God's people. Now, if you're thinking this is a tall order, an almost impossible task, I say, think of Jesus. God's Son came to earth. God became like us. He lived with us. He pleaded the case of the widow and defend the oppressed to the point of death for us. God has already done this, and he has already made the way open for relationship. But why? If other religions continue on, can continue on their merry way of doing ritual, of thinking that they can leave it up to the gods to solve justice, why would we or anyone want to base our religion, our faith on relationship? Why would we want to base it on emptying and giving up of ourselves the way Jesus did for us? Verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If this were a trial in the courts, Israel would be found guilty. And rightly so. But we see in verse 18 the foundational nature of God's character, of his compassion and his mercy. Despite everything they've done, if Israel will repent, then the Lord will dissolve their sins. Though they are like scarlet, he will make them as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. As we know, Isaiah is full of messianic prophecies. And it is Messiah, Jesus, who is this means of redemption. Jesus is our advocate, our defence, our saviour. It is he who makes us clean. Here we see the fullness of God's love for his people. He doesn't want to see them destroyed because then there would be no relationship. He wants to see them made whole. He wants to see them and us made clean again. Friends, we're surrounded by a world that tells us how to succeed, how to make the most out of life, how to fix all the world's problems, the top 10 tips to live your best life. All of these tempt us to tick the box of ritual. God is not interested in ritual. I pray that you've been able to see today that he is so upset by the empty external ritual of the Israelites that he was brought to disgust. They were going through the motions and in so doing forgot about God. God wanted relationship with the Israelites just as he wants relationship with you, with me, with every one of us. So, what does this look like in your life? If you think about your daily actions, 
Would you say that you do what you do because it is habit, because it is ritual, because it looks good on the outside, or because it is relationship? Does it serve yourself or does it serve God? Like I said before, discipline in and of itself is not a bad thing. It would would be more than a little bit ironic for me to stand here on a Sunday morning and tell you not to bother with the discipline of coming to church on Sunday or not to bother with volunteering for Meals on Wheels or not to bother to donate to missional outreach. But the point of coming to church is not to do ritual but to do relationship with God and with each other. We come to church to be refined, not refined in ritual but refined by God's character. We come to church to spend time with each other, our family, our friends and even those with whom we struggle. We come to church so that people may encounter their own relationship with God, not in ritual but in relationship with us. We serve our community. We donate to outreach. We support missions to serve God, not ourselves. So I challenge you to consider, just as I challenge myself to consider, where is your heart? Why do you come to church on a Sunday? Why do you volunteer? Why do you do anything in your day-to-day? Is it so you can tick the box? Is it so it looks okay on the outside? Or is it so that you can deepen your relationship with God and with God's people in response to his love for you? Is it so that others around you, the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow, can see the true natures of God's character through your life, your thoughts, your actions? I love doing what I do. I love serving. I love having the privilege to preach. And I'm constantly reminded that I need to make sure that what I'm doing is to serve God. And the fruit, the joy that comes out of that is a blessing. But it's not my motivation. Serving God is. Friends, this is a huge task. This is a lifelong and life-changing call from God to the Israelites and to us to share his compassion and loving kindness with all his people. The good news is, is that the matter is settled. We need to look only to Jesus to know that God has done this for us. He has made our sins as white as snow.